Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another one of our weekly podcasts. My name is Richard. On behalf of Journey Community Church in Fontana, we thank you for tuning in. Last week, we looked at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4-10 through 10 with Pastor Brian, and we discussed how we are to praise God in everything that we do, from the moment that we wake to the moment that we lay our heads to rest. This week, we're going through 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11-17 through 17 with Pastor Brian, as we discuss a hot topic in our current day, obedience to the government. Let's see what the Word of God tells us about how we are to navigate this topic in this modern age. Good morning, everyone. We are in 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to be going over verses 11 through 17. Um, And as Chris said, that this topic today is on obedience to government, and it is absolutely timely. There's been so many crazy things going on. Um, And so what I'm going to ask you guys as we get into this message is just to remember that um, we need to be gracious with one another in this topic, and really any topic where there might be Um, debate or discussion on exactly how it is that we follow God's word. We need to make sure that we're gracious with one another and with uh, the elders as well as we are making decisions. We're trying to keep up with all the information and make the best decision for the church to be gracious with your leaders. Um, This is, uh, again, a a topic that has a ton of debate. I don't know how much you guys time guys spent online, but I spent a lot of time online looking into this topic uh, for the past several months, actually. Um, So it's by God's providence that I am now speaking this message after months of constantly reading up on this and seeing why people lean one way or another. And so just recall that as we hear this word, that we need to be gracious with this. We need to make sure that we're looking towards God's word to understand what it is that we're supposed to do in this field. Um, and one thing I want to remind you guys again, as before we get into this, um, we are God's people. We are called to be obedient to him. And what we're, we're going to see here is that God in our obedience to him has called us to then be obedient to other people as well. And so we cannot see that being obedient to other people is somehow being obedient to God when he has called us into obedience to authorities. And so let's go ahead and read the passage, and we'll get into it. First Peter chapter 2, starting at verse 11. It says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent amongst the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they will, may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, Glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as to the one in authority, or to governors as sent to him or sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves for God. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. So up until this point in the book of First uh, Peter, we've seen that Peter is going to, has been giving us reasons for our faith. He's been defining our faith and what it means to have faith, and we're going to see a transition here. And so, so far we've seen that our faith is from God, our salvation is from God, and that we are kept by the power of God. We see that through our trials that our faith will be strengthened. We see that this message has been delivered to us by the prophets, the angels, and the apostles. We see that God is going to continually sanctify us, this process of our minds being renewed, uh, pushing out the old lusts of our flesh, and putting on the holiness of God. And this is a continuous cycle. And that through all of this, we are called to have hope, reverence, love, and praise for our God. And so Peter has given us this kind of foundation of our faith, what it is to have faith. And now he's going to transition into this area where he's going to give us 
uh, real world application of this faith? How is it that we're meant to behave in a world now that we have this faith? And so what we're going to see here is that he has called us to have excellent behavior amongst all people. And that excellent behavior continues over into the realm of government and that we do this not because of who the government is or because of who people are, but because of who God is. That our desire above all else is to serve God and to give him glory. And so that is why we are going to be obedient to those who are put in charge of us. So let's go ahead and go back to verse 11. This is where he's going to tell us to have excellent behavior. It says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. And so here Peter calls us aliens and strangers, and that is because we are not of this world. We are of the kingdom of God. And so first and foremost, our citizenship is in heaven with God. And as we are passing through this world, even though we might have citizenship in one nation or another, that our citizenship there is not the first citizenship we hold on to. The first citizenship we hold on to is in the kingdom of God. And so we are called aliens, we are called strangers, we are called sojourners on this earth. And think of it this way, if you go to another nation, you're gonna be really careful to follow their laws because you don't know exactly how their justice system works and you really don't wanna be caught up by a law in a nation that is not your nation. And so the same is true for us as we are sent into this world by God, uh, citizens of his kingdom. He's saying, you are in a land that is not mine. So we need to make sure that we are on our best behavior here, making sure we're obeying the commands of the land to make sure that way our testimony is not corrupted by our deeds. Philippians 3, verse 20 through 21 says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory, by the exertion of the power that he has, even to subject all things to himself. And so we see that our citizenship is first and foremost in heaven. We are strangers here, and so we are going to be obedient because of that. And so Peter tells us to abstain from the fleshly lusts which wage war against our soul. And so we've seen this over and over again from Peter. He's telling us to get rid of these old things, get rid of the old lusts of our flesh. These things aren't helpful to our testimony. They're, they aren't helpful to our obedience to God. And he adds here that they wage war against our soul. And we need to understand what this means. Because when we sin, we need to recognize who it is we are sinning against. And I want to bring up King David as an example of this. You see, King David sinned. He committed adultery with Bathsheba. He conspired to cover it up. And when that didn't work, he conspired to kill Uriah, which was Bathsheba's wife. And so all of this sin that he committed, he is confronted by Nathan. And when Nathan confronts him and shows him that he is a sinner, he says this in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. You see, the bad things he did were against these other people, but his sin was against God. And he recognized that his sin was against God and only against God. And so Nathan tells him, the Lord has taken away your sin. You shall not die. And it's because he recognized that his sin was not against these people. He wronged them, absolutely. He, he sinned by disobeying God, but his sin wasn't against those people. His sin was against God. And so the same holds true for us. When we sin against other people in this world, it is actually against God that we sin. We are showing our disobedience to him. We are showing that we are not following his commands and our sin is against him and it corrupts our soul. And so because we are strangers here, because we are here for the purposes of God, we are going to have excellent behavior. Peter continues in verse 12. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. 
And so this excellent behavior that we're meant to have is not uh, a false sense of behavior. It's not when you knock your kid in the head and say, behave here, and you know they aren't actually a behaving kid. They're just putting on a fake attitude while they're amongst, amongst other people. This is a behavior that we have all the time when we're at home and we're out. It's a behavior that we constantly have in Christ. And so we cannot think that we're going to have excellent behavior amongst the body of believers because we all like each other, and we're going to go out and hate the people out in the world. Rather, what God says, take that behavior, that excellent behavior that you have amongst yourselves, and bring that out into the world. We have to have an excellent behavior. It's not a fake behavior. It is a behavior that God calls us to. And Jesus even talks about this in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 43, he says this, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And so if God can give common grace to all people, whether they're believer or non-believer, and you are the one who is living in obedience to God, it is your duty to, to extend that common grace to all people as well. The, the good behavior that we have is not just amongst believers, but is to be sent out into the world so that way they can see a testimony of who God is. They can see our different behavior, and that different behavior is going to be a testimony to them about how great our God is. And so our excellent behavior is going to give glory to God as other people observe our excellent behavior. And Christ has called us to this no matter what. Peter tells us that even when people slander us as evildoers, even when they're lying about us, even when they're saying things that are not true, we still are to have excellent behavior. We do not pay back evil with evil. And you have to remember that this was written at a time when the church was heavily persecuted. And so they were accused of many different things. One, they were accused of, they are called terrorists. Because at this time, Rome was burning a lot. There was arsons and everything going on crazy in Rome. And the, the scapegoat for it was Christians. They were blamed and they were called terrorists. Another thing they were called was atheist. Because at this time, everyone was polytheistic and so there were many gods. And to deny anyone's god was to be an atheist. And so since Christians came out and said, no, we have one, there's one true living god, only one god we can serve, Everyone looked at them and said, well, then you're an atheist because you've denied all these other gods. They were also called cannibals, and they, this is because of communion. And so imagine just walking to church and hearing saying, we're going to eat the body of Christ and we're going to drink the blood of Christ. And people are going, what are these people doing? Are they really eating the one they think is saving them? And so they were accused of cannibalism. They did not, the people of that time did not recognize that it was a remembrance of what God had done, and they accused them of being cannibals. Another thing they did was they blamed them for slowing social progress and for slowing trade. So you have to remember at this time, a huge part of the economy was idols. They, they worshiped things up to idols, so you would buy things to worship up to idols, you would buy the meats and worship it up to idols. And once people became Christians, they no longer participated in these transactions. And so the economy took a hit from Christianity, no longer wanting to participate in offering things up to idols. And so Christians were blamed and accused of being people who slowed the economy, who made things worse in the cities. Yet we are still to be kind to these people who accuse us of all sorts of things. We do not live in a place where that sort of thing happens. We don't really get a lot of persecution here right now. We're very blessed to live in the United States where we have freedom of speech, freedom of religion, all these things. And we might get people saying terrible things about us, but it really doesn't affect our day-to-day -day lives for the most part. And so we are very blessed that, that we do not re receive the type of persecution they received in the early church. But even if we do, we must still hold to the same thing that Peter is telling them to do in their terrible situation. Still maintain excellent behavior. Matthew chapter 5, verse 10 through 12, 
Jesus says something else to us. He says, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is in heaven is great. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so even when we have excellent behavior and people still slander us and lie about us and say all these terrible things about us, rather than trying to get revenge on them, rather than trying to turn it around on them, rather than trying to win the argument, we can praise God that we were received persecution on his behalf. Because it's showing to us that we are being obedient to him. And as we saw early in the book of Peter, um, Peter tells us that, our, that these trials, as we maintain our faith through them, increase our faith. And so we can be thankful to God that we did not, that did not falter in our faith, but were built up in our faith through these persecutions. Peter continues and says that as we do these good deeds, even while they slander us, that we continue to do these good deeds, continue to have excellent behavior, because that they will, these people will observe our behavior, and then on the day of visitation, they will glorify God. Now, there are two different days of visitation that are possible for all people. One is for believers, one is for non-believers. And so for the believer, the day of visitation is when you become a Christian, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, you have faith in God, and what's gonna happen is they're gonna look back on the faithfulness of the people who were maintaining this excellent behavior because of who their God was, and they're gonna thank God for it. Because what you did is you became a witness to them of how good God is, and, it, and God has used you to bring them to himself. And it's like how we, we uh, greatly honor and respect the apostles who wrote the scriptures for us, even though they were persecuted to the point of death. And we are thankful to God that they were willing to serve God in this manner, because now you and I, 2,000 years later, can read the words they wrote and know who God is. And so the same is true for people who have come after us while we are persecuted, while they do all sorts of terrible things to us, yet we remain excellent in our behavior towards them. What's going to happen is when they become Christians, they're going to see that and they're going to say, thank you for being faithful to God. And it's going to give God glory. The other kind of day of visitation is for non-believers. And this is on the day of judgment, when they have to stand before the judgment seat of God and give an account for their life. And so they're going to have to account for the way they treated you. They're going to have to see that you were actually the one serving the one and true God. And so, as the Bible tells us, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord on that day. And so because of your excellent behavior, they are going to know that they heard of this God. They knew who he was because you revealed it to them by your words, by your behaviors, and yet they still rejected. And so believer and non-believer on the day of visitation will have to give glory to God because of your witness, because of your behavior in this world. And so we're to maintain an excellent behavior no matter what. We cannot think that because someone has wronged us that it gives us the right to wrong them back. We must maintain an excellent behavior. And this continues into the realm of governing authorities. We're to submit to governing authorities, continuing in verse 13. Peter writes, submit yourselves to the Lord for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a high, sorry, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. Now, the Bible is incredibly clear on what our behavior is meant to be amongst authorities. In fact, I, I don't know how much you guys have spent reading through this as, as the months have gone on, but one passage a lot of people bring up is Romans 13. As the government has given to us commands, we'll say, well, Romans 13, we have to obey Romans 13. So let's go ahead and everyone turn real quick to Romans 13, starting at verse 1. I want to read through that one because Romans 13 and 1 Peter 2 are two of the big passages that we can see 
of the command to obey governing authorities. Romans 13, starting at verse 1. says, Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. There it is again. When we repose the authority on this earth, we are opposing the authority that was set there by God. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear uh, of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render all, render to all what is due to them. Tax to whom tax is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. And so the Bible is incredibly clear in this point that we are to obey the commands of those who are put in charge of us. And it doesn't matter what level the institution is, if we're in someone's business, they get to set the rules for their business. If we're going to a school or a workplace, the school or workplace gets to set the rules for that place. And if we don't like those rules, we don't have to go to those places. But we must honor their authority all the way up to the government within our, our city, state, and federal governments. We have to obey them because God has put them in place. Even when we disagree with their ordinances, we still have to go along with it. Matthew chapter 5, once again, Jesus says this in verse 40 and 41. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Now, how many of us, if someone's going to sue us for $1,000, says, here's $2,000, take it. It's, it's not a very, very common thought, but Jesus' point here is the things of this world are not what we're clinging on to. Recognize that our treasure is in heaven, and if someone is trying to sue us and take what is ours, we cannot hold on to it as if it's the most important thing in the world. We, we came into this world with nothing, and we're going to leave it with nothing, and we cannot cling on to the things of this world. And he also gives the other example of going two miles rather than one. There was a law that if a Roman soldier told you to carry their stuff, you had to carry it for a mile for them. He says, don't just go one mile, go two for them. And so what this is showing is it's showing an abundance of obedience to the governing authorities. We are not rebels. We are not ones trying to disobey for the sake of disobedience. We are not ones trying to break laws for the sake of breaking laws. We are to be obedient to all the laws, even when we disagree with them, even when we find them silly. We're not going over verse 18 today, but in verse 18, Peter tells us to be obedient to masters who are reasonable and unreasonable. Even when it's unreasonable, we are to be obedient. And so I'm sure the question in everyone's mind is, well, how far does this go? Is there any line where we can, we can disobey what the government has said? And I want to word this carefully because there is no line where we disobey what the government has said, but there is a line where we obey God and what he has said rather than what government has said. We cannot think of it in terms of being disobedient to government because when we're being disobedient to government, we're sinning against God. But when we look at a situation, we say, God has commanded this, and the government has commanded this, I'm going to be obedient to God rather than government. That is okay, and we must see it that way. We see this in Acts chapter 5, verse 27. This is the apostles before the courts. They say, when they had brought them, they stood them before the council. 
The high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to the right hand as a prince and as a savior, to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to us who obey him. And so there is the line. When the government tells us to do something that goes against God's word, we have to be obedient to God first. And we have to remember that part of that obedience to God is obedience to government. And so we have to make sure we have discernment over these situations. We cannot just blatantly say we're not going to do what the government says. We have to make sure we're examining the laws, examining the rules to make sure that what we are doing in obeying the government doesn't cause us to disobey God. And we see examples of this throughout Scripture. In Exodus chapter 1, there's the midwives who were delivering the Hebrew children. And so the Egyptians came and they were being... Uh, they were worried about the number of Hebrews that were coming about, and so they wanted to mi diminish their numbers. And so they told the midwives, if, if a male is born, kill the male. If a female is born, let the female live. And so the midwives disobeyed this. They allowed the boys to live, and when the government came back and said, why are there so many Hebrew boys being born? They lied and said, well, the, the Hebrew women are so vigorous that they're giving birth to these boys before we can even show up. And so they disobeyed and lied to government, and the Bible tells us that God blessed them. This is because they knew that God's law was above the government's law and that they could not take innocent life. And so rather than taking innocent life, they were disobedient to government in that situation. We also see this with the Hebrew spies um, with Rahab. Rahab hides the Hebrew spies and helps them to escape. And God blesses Rahab. Uh, we even see when we read the New Testament that she is in the lineage of Jesus Christ. She is mentioned in that lineage. And so God has blessed Rahab because she sided with God's people rather than her current government. And we also see with Daniel, as he prays before God, there was a law put in place where Daniel was told, no one can pray to anyone but the king. You cannot petition to anyone but the king. And they did this because they knew Daniel was a devoted man to God, and he prayed three times a day at his window. So they implemented this law to trap him so that they could see him praying at his window and say, see, he disobeyed the law, and now he must be punished. And I think this one's the best example because what we see is that David faithfully prayed still. And he, was, he broke the law, but he did not do it strictly out of disobedience. He did it to, to praise and honor God. And what was Daniel's response after this? Did he protest? Did he say, no, I'm just doing what God told me to do? No, he was sent to the lion's den without complaint. He knew that he was breaking the law of the land, and he knew that he was going to pun get punished for it. Yet he still did what he knew was right in the sight of God and accepted the punishment. Now, God was gracious to him and saved him from that lion's den, but we must keep that in mind that even as we disobey the government, again, we're not doing it simply to disobey. We're doing it to be honoring to God, and we must be willing to accept the punishment that the government would give us in that case. And so let's take a look real quick at current application of this. Um, there are many commands that have been put into place, and it's been really hard to keep track because it changes day by day. But there are commands that have been put in place about whether we can gather or not. There have been commands put in place whether we can sing or not. And so what does the Bible say about these things, and what is our stance here at this church? And so first I want to show you that God has first given the authority of the church to the elders, not to the government. 
that there are different realms of authority that God has mandated. Government is one and church is another. So we see this in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 through 4. It says, Therefore I exhort the elders among you, as your fellow elders and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but providing, or sorry, but proving uh, to be ex examples of the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And so as elders, we are called to make sure that we are shepherding here. And so what we did, um, you, you guys will know that when this uh, whole pandemic started, we did not gather for a time. That is because we were doing it out of caution. We weren't sure that the initial information that we heard was saying that this was gonna be a lot worse than it turned out to be. And so we, even before the, the mandate to not gather came out, we were discussing whether it was wise to keep gathering or not. And uh, one thing we must recognize is that the government actually does have authority to call for a quarantine. But that quarantine has to be legitimate and the quarantine is of those who are sick. And so we, we looked at the information and since we were unsure, we decided to go out of caution and not gather for a time. Um, but it came down to uh, when, when were we going to open back up again? And so I first want to read Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 and 25. It says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so we are mandated by God to gather. And so even before the man, that we were given permission to not or to come to back together again, we as elders came together and decided that on May 31st we were going to gather. We found that there was a huge grouping of churches that had chosen this day, and so we decided to go along with that. And whether or not the government said, you guys can gather, we were going to gather. Now, we praise God because the Friday before that, the government came out and said, you guys can gather. And so we were able to maintain obedience to God and obedience to government, and we praise God for that. But we still have mandates that we are currently breaking, and that is on singing. Currently, we are not allowed to sing in the state of California. But what does God say about singing? Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. We're actually mandated to sing by God. It's not just something Christians decided to do. It's something that God has called us to do as part of our worship of him, to sing. And so while the government says, do not sing, we say, government, we respect you. Government, we're going to follow all the commands that you've given to us. But we cannot follow this one because God has told us otherwise, and we're going to sing because we honor God for men. And so we must be discerning on this topic. We must make sure that we are taking into account the whole gospel, and we must make sure we're taking into account all the laws that are presented to us. We never want to live in rebellion for the sake of rebellion. Mark 12, 17, Jesus tells them to render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. The things of this world are not for us. We cannot take it with us. We cannot hold even our rights as something that we must hold on to. Right now, again, we have a, a great thing in this country that we have right to bear our grievances to our government. We have the right to petition our government. We have many rights given to us in the United States. But even if we did not have those rights, it does not give us the right to rebel against our government. We're to be obedient to our government and through our obedience to be examples of Christ, to be a testimony of the God that we serve. In Acts chapter 4, 19 through 20, 
says, But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge, for we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. Essentially what he's saying is we're going to be obedient to God, but if you judge that we must be punished for this, go ahead and punish us. You still get to be the judge over us because that's the position God put you in. And so we accept any punishment that we take for being disobedient to the government when it is that we are being obedient to God above government. But we must not go out and strictly seek to be disobedient. We must seek to be always obedient. Why? Because God commands us to this obedience. In verse 15, Peter tells us, For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. You see, when we're obedient to the government, when we're following the laws, when we're doing right to all people and people accuse us of things, they're not going to have any hold on us. Because there's nothing that they can point to and say, see, here's something they did wrong. And the only cases that they can do that is when we've deliberately followed God rather than men, and in those cases we accept that punishment. And so what's going to happen is people are going to accuse us of things, they're going to slander us, they're going to malign us, they're going to say all these terrible things about us, and we can hold fast in God knowing that none of them are true. And if we are given that fair trial, it's going to be proven that we were right all along. We do not want to give the world a foothold on our lives to say, see, look, they did this terrible thing. Why are you going to follow them? Why are you going to believe their God? They can't even be obedient to the government. Why are you going to listen to them? And so the only place that we secede on that is when we are serving God over man. So we do this. We are excellent in our behavior before all people. We are obedient to the government as God has called us. And we're going to see we do this as free men who choose to serve God. Continuing in verse 16, he says, Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. And so here we are called free men. We get to act as free men. And so what is it that we're free of? Well, we're free from the bondage of sin and death. Romans 8, chapter 1 and 2 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. And so we are free men. We, we have no condemnation. And so no matter what we do, we cannot be condemned for sin because that sin has already been paid for on the cross with Jesus Christ. But as free men, we are given a command. We are called into obedience to God. We are called to use our freedom to have obedience to God. And so what we're essentially going to do is we're going to recognize our freedoms and then self-restrict on our own freedom. We're going to intentionally restrict our own freedom for the sake of others. We even see this amongst believers in Romans chapter 14, starting at verse 13. It says, Therefore let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. I know men convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. And so what we're called to do is that as we see our freedoms in Christ, that if we're amongst people who do not, who do not see those things as freedom, that we do not want to make them to stumble. And so an excellent example of this is alcohol. Um, there are many people within churches that are, think it's okay to drink, and there are many people in churches who think it's not okay to drink. And so those who are thinking it's okay to drink are the ones who experience that freedom, and they're called the, uh, the stronger one in the relationship, and the one who is weaker is the one who does not think it's okay to drink. And so the stronger is told, do not drink around those people. Do not make them, do not force them to drink with you. Do not make them stumble. And so when you're amongst those people, you restrict your freedom and say, okay, I'm not going to have any alcohol around these people because they do not feel comfortable with it. But while I'm off with other people who are experiencing that same freedom, I can have a drink 
And I, as long as I know that the Bible has simply called us not to drunkenness and does not actually have anything wrong with having a drink, then we're okay. And so that's what it's like. We need to make sure that when we're around people who do not experience those same things or feel restricted by certain aspects of their conscience, that we do not cause them to break their conscience. And so the same goes into the world. We do not want people to stumble because of us. We do not want to be a bad testimony within the world. And so Peter says, do not use your freedom as a covering for evil. We do not want to say, well, I'm free in Christ. I can do all things and I have no condemnation. Therefore, I'm going to go out and sin because I know God's going to forgive me, but we cannot do that. Romans 6 verse 15 says, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? May it never be. Do you think, or sorry, do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either to, of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? And so now that we've been freed from sin, we can choose who our obedience lies with. And so we can choose to be obedient to sin or we can choose to be obedient to God. And that's going to show who our true master is. And so we must choose obedience to God. We're going to restrict ourselves going towards obedience to God to honor God, who is the one we want to serve. And so we use our freedom not to go out and do evil things, but we use our freedom as bondservants of Christ. A bondservant is someone who chooses service. So now that we've been saved, now that we have the Holy Spirit, now that we've been freed from our sins, we're going to choose to be bondservants of Christ, to use our lives to reflect his glory, to point people to him in word and deed. And so Peter says in verse 17, this is how we do this. We honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. And so what does it mean to honor all people? We need to recognize that when we honor all people, it doesn't mean agreeing with everything they say. It doesn't mean not confronting them in their sin. Because we are called to do those things. We are called to present the gospel. We are called to present the message. And part of that message is telling people that they are sinners. Showing them that they have a need for God. And so we cannot see honoring people and respecting people as not disagreeing with them. We can absolutely disagree with our words, but we're going to do it lovingly, and we're not going to act out evilly towards them when there's disagreement. We're not going to argue for the sake of winning an argument. We're going to present the gospel to them. And they might see that as unloving. They might see that as disrespectful, but we're going to hold to the love and respect that God defines rather than the one that the world defines. And so what does it mean to honor others? Romans chapter 12 Starting at verse 17 says this, Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it, is, as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, or, and, and if he thirst, is thirsty, give him drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so that's what it means to honor all people. It means that we still see them as created in the image of God, whether they're a believer or not. They are created in the image of God, and they deserve our honor and respect. And if they are in need, we help them still. We cannot see them as others. We cannot um, divide ourselves because we recognize that we were a senior, sinners in need of a savior and they are sinners in need of that same savior. And so we must present the gospel to them. We must be loving and kind to them, even when they think we're not being loving and kind by presenting the gospel and showing them their sin. 
helps us to love the brotherhood. And this one comes much more easily to us. It's a lot easier to love people who you agree with than it is to love people who you disagree with. And so loving the brotherhood doesn't come as much of a struggle to most people, but we must also recognize that this means that people who disagree with us in the faith as well. Because we can oftentimes have disputes over what specific passages mean. We can have disputes over certain theological points. But we must recognize that if we are all following Christ, then that is the criteria of brotherhood. We have to make sure that we are solid on the essentials and in other areas that we are forgiving and gracious as people disagree with us. And so when we cannot have disagreements amongst the brotherhood, separate us as believers. Because when we are divided amongst ourselves, the world sees that and they say, why would we want to be part of those people who cannot even love one another? So we must love the brotherhood. We also fear God. We know that God is just, and what it means to fear God is recognizing who he is and who we are in relation to him. And so we recognize that God's ways are higher than our ways, and God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We recognize that he is right to punish us for sin. We recognize that he is right to chasten and correct us. We recognize that all authority is his, and that everything that he has given to us is from him. And so because of this, we fear God, we have reverence towards God, always wanting to be obedient to him rather than disobedient. And finally, ends here with honor the king. Because God has put people into places of authority, we must respect that authority. Even when we disagree with it, even when it seems like they're causing us to do silly things that we think are ridiculous, we still must honor their place of authority because God has put them in those places. And what we see throughout history is as people stray away from God, kingdoms fall. So secular kingdoms time and time again are going to crumble, and the people who maintain throughout those times are the people who are faithful to God. And so we know that as time continues, the, the United States might not always be here. There's a lot of concern over how people have begun to behave amongst each other, how the left and right have begun to attack each other. We see riots in the streets. We see disagreements. We see um, just crazy things happening in our world right now, crazy things happening in our country. But we must remember to always honor the king, no matter what. Even if the rights that we so greatly enjoy today are taken away from us, we still honor the king because by that we are giving a testimony of who our God is. And so out of an abundance of our obedience to God, because of who he is, we're going to be at peace with all people. We're going to be at peace with our government. We're going to submit ourselves because of who God is, because we want to give him glory. And as we close, I again want to just discuss a little bit about our current situation in the United States. Um, once again, there's, there's been mandates given to us because of the pandemic that we're going to do our best to to follow those commandments because God has put those people in place and they're giving to us ordinances. And so that's why we're gathering outside. I'm a little sweaty right now, but that's okay because I still get to present the gospel to you and we can be both honoring to God and man in gathering outside. And so we're going to do that as much as we can. And when the government tells us to do things that cause us to be disobedient to God, we're going to say, sorry, but we have to be obedient to God first. And so what we must recognize is that we have a great privilege in the United States that we are able not only to vote on laws, we're not only be able to vote for representatives, but we ourselves are able to become those representatives. We have a great privilege in this nation to be those who are in governmental authority and to influence our government towards Christ. And we cannot abandon that right. While we have it, we must hold to it. And we can thank God that we have the ability to petition our government to say, hey, what you're doing here is not okay. And we've seen that with churches taking these laws, taking the government to court. And that is not them disobeying God because they're 
following the law of the land. They are petitioning the government as the government has given them the right to do so. And so while we have the rights that we have in this country, let's fight for our freedoms while we can. But even if we lose that fight and those rights are taken away from us, we can praise God for who he is and maintain our obedience to government. Let's pray. God, we thank you for all that you have given to us. God, even when we read certain passages and we find ourselves in disagreement with them as God, I, I very much have that American spirit of no one's going to tell me what to do. But God, then I go, God, you're the one that gets to tell me what to do. And you say, okay, now go be obedient to those people. And so God, I must submit to you first above all else. And as you've called me to submit to others, I must submit to others. And so God, we thank you for the laws we currently have in this nation. We thank you for this place. And we pray that God, there would be a revival in this nation towards you that through all this chaos, we would be salt and light to this world, that they would see how great you are, and they would see that we would continue in our obedience to you, God. God, we pray even as we see scriptures that kind of make us struggle in our way of thinking, God, that we would, instead of saying that the Bible is wrong, say, God, that we are wrong. We must change our way of thinking to conform to your way of thinking, God. God, help us to be obedient, help us to be discerning, over these matters. We want to honor you above all else, God. And so we pray and we, we discuss and we look at how we can be obedient to all of your commands, including obedience to government, God. And I pray that you give us strength and courage to endure the coming days. You give us strength and courage to endure the upcoming elections and whatever might transpire between here and now. And God, we pray that there would be a great revival in this place that people would see this chaos and they would look at Christians and say there's something different about those people. There's something different about their behavior that makes me want to follow after their God. I pray that we would be those people. In your name, amen. that is the end of this week's podcast. We thank you for joining us for another inspiring message. If you enjoyed this teaching, please take a moment and share it with others. If you're interested and would like to find out more information about our location, time of worship service, or even what ministries we offer, we encourage you to visit our Facebook page at Journey Community Church Fontana, where you can find all that information and more. Again, on behalf of Journey Community Church of Fontana, we thank you for tuning in. Have a blessed week, and we'll see you here next time.